bits we could talk about for this. What's a good opening? Good bit. Um, man, we really are out of practice. It's been <laughs> it's been a hot minute. We need to find our willingness to be dipshits again. We really do. Oh, okay. Wait, I have it. Okay, go for I it. I have it. Just don't respond. Okay. Uh, hey, Caitlin. Hey, Bernadette. God damn it, Caitlin! (laughs) No audience participation! You know, this might actually be better. I was gonna make a thing about how you can't speak because you sold your voice to a water witch, but I guess you're fine. I'm just so... I told you don't respond! And you said yes! I know! I don't know what I was thought I was agreeing to, but <laughs> apparently my brain was like, Bernadette said, hey, Caitlin, I need to say, hey, Bernadette, because I've trained myself at this point it's to say that because law. we started so many episodes with that. Jesus oh, Christ. Oh, my God. Well, oh, I'm crying. <laughs> Caitlin, under what circumstances would you sell your voice to a water witch? Um, maybe some, like, really good snacks. Damn. Yeah. Heck. Is Dan a swear? I don't know, man. I feel like I should just give up on that because I missed one like they two episodes it, ago. They mm. say it in in like PG anime. I feel like it's one of those words <laughs> that slips under the radar. We should look and see like what technically is allowed under like the PG rating and see like and then we'll use that because Yes. <laughs> we I definitely missed a swear like two episodes ago, so apologies to oh, anyone no. who counts on our swear ban. Oh no. Um, I believe what about their tender ears, Caitlin? <laughs> their soft, tender, sensitive ears. Because we all know I listen to our episodes, at, even though I listen to them. I record them, and then I edit them, and then later in the week I'll listen to them because I just I just do. And there was one where you clearly swore and then said, oh, sorry for the swear. And, like, that would, like, I could have, I don't know how I missed that whole, like, if it was a word and both of us missed it, but you called yourself out on it and I still missed it. Well, look at it this way. I, if this is anything to go on, <laughs> it's only going to get better from here. Only yeah. where to go is up. We're, we're at just, the bottom of a hill. Gotta start hiking. Yeah, we're just a little rusty, I think. Or, yep. Uh, we haven't re- well, we haven't recorded since Aliens 1. Oh, Lord. Because Let's we, not talk about that. Oh, yeah, sorry, we, everyone. We I was real sick. <laughs> I was real sick and behind, and uh, sometimes things that I get paid for are important, and I have to catch up on them, despite wanting very much to talk to my good friend, Caitlin. <laughs> yeah. We, anyway. We, we, we've somehow exchanged sickness through the podcast sphere. Thank you. You sent it to me. I and did. Now it, nice, yeah. Nice little bad. sick package. Thank you. Gross. <laughs> All right. Well... Uh, this is Stone Houses. This is Stone Houses. An amateur guide to fiction, fable, and folklore. I'm Laura Bernadette Meeker. And I'm Caitlin Bruder. And this is, uh, uh, just a cavalcade of idiocy. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for joining us. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Good lord. <laughs> Good lord. Off to a great start. How about this? Do we have an etymology corner this week? Who oh boy, do we have an etymology corner this week. Oh, nice. First, I want to tell you about how... <laughs> so we're talking about Rusalka. Uh, or ru- There's some disagreement, it seems like, between people saying Rusalka or Rusalka. Uh, but, I mean, I'm going to say Rusalka, because that's 
easy for me to remember. Uh, you may be interested to know that the etymology of the word Ruselka is a, a, a question of hot debate in r slash etymology. <laughs> Ooh. And I think it's only right to read this exchange so we get to hear from everyone involved. Oh, good. Uh, so user uh, Remierk, uh, R-E-M-I-E-R-K, posted, Is the etymology of the Russian mermaid Rusalka related to the Rus? If so, what is the connection between the creature and the people? The uh, top answer, and I'd like to point out that none of the answers on this thread are upvoted or downvoted. So. <laughs> Just pre-neutral, across the board. Swedophone says, the name of the, of the similar Roman festival Rosalia was loaned as Rusalia into Slavic. The Rusalki were originally spirits associated with the cult of uh, Anthesteria. What? Um, which is a kind of... Uh, a like a Athenian festival that held over once the um, once the Holy Roman Empire kind of transitioned religiously, um, <laughs> and the oh uh, original poster seems to have taken that as as correct, uh, but uh, underneath that, someone whose name has they have deleted their account from this website says. Doubtful. Rus is from Finnish ruotsi, meaning Swedes, Sweden, itself meaning rowers. The phonetic resemblance is not to be trusted here since rows in Slavic languages comes from Latin. Semantics-wise, there is no link between the people and the name. So alas, Swedophone, your etymology is false. Oh. <laughs> Poliskalan 2 says, No, you are wrong. Ruotsi is from Rus, not the other way around. Rus did not refer to all Swedes, but to the people named Roslagen. Compare this to the construction to e.g. the Danelaw. The Swedish region in the upland was not named by Finns. And why would Slavs in modern Ukraine ask the Finns what the colonists from Roslagen called themselves? Endless repeat comments. According to Wikipedia, the prevailing theory is that Rus and Ruotsi are both derived from the Old Norse term, not one from the other. Wiktionary seems to say something different, though. The deleted, uh, the deleted person says, A further and more precise answer was given by my endless repeat. If you wish, I can give you a long-winded answer to this in significantly more detail. It, this keeps going. Polis Cullen says, Well, since the people of Roslagen spoke Old East Norse, and the Finns didn't even speak an Indo-European language, it was obviously a loan word. Most oh likely from God. the people of Roslagen. Not sure what the objection is. Uh, deleted links to a article on Finnish, and Polis Cullen too says, Yep, and then quotes, From Arche archaic Rotsi, Swede, uh, from the Old Swedish Rots related to rowing, in Related to Old Norse Roslandi, land of rowing. Older name of Roslagen, where the Finns and Swedes first met. And it goes on for a bit. Oh my <laughs> Though God. I'm skeptical of the statement that Finns and Swedes first met in Roslagen, the people of Roslagen weren't really Swedes at the time. And I don't really have anything to support this, but my gut feeling tells me that the <laughs> Finns and the Swedes first met in modern-day Finland. Deleted says, I can only work within the boundaries of linguistics, not so social ethnology. As you can see, the word Russian stems from the Russian word for Swedes. Yes, the word is I-E in origin. No, it's not an endemic Finnish word, but it is fin Finnish. And as you can see, the Russian word, uh, Pluskin says, no, I can't see that. Nothing in your link supports this claim. And then the last comment on the article is, 
from deleted. We established that the term Sweden comes from the term for Ruslagen. We also know that the name Russian is an exonym. Uh, exonym being, I think, a word given to something by outsider people like us for... Oh, yeah. Yeah, for lo- lots of things. Um, <laughs> it is known that it came from the Varangian traders and the princess that came to lord over uh, Kiev Rus. Rus is held to be the Finnish term for Swedes, as uh, linked here. And then there's no more comments. Oh my I can God. only assume that it was a, a heated debate, but... <laughs> what a fun debate. I feel like we now need a, a new corner in our tiny stone house that... Is a, where we can linguistic <laughs> fights. Yeah, people fighting about origins of, of folklore on the internet. Because, I mean, maybe it's not that funny, but I thought that was hysterical. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. I <laughs> there's nothing in that link <laughs> supports your point. The internet is full of full of storms of emotions and people who have opinions on things. I'm excited. There are some really good threads on here. I like uh, I like linguist fights. Yeah, it's very good. Give me more of them. Yeah. So that is all to say that I don't know, but apparently, <laughs> deleted and uh, and Swedophone have some strong opinions on it. Have some thoughts. What a what a good. I was about to say what a good website, and then I remembered that I was talking about Reddit. What a good thread that I enjoyed reading. Oh, fun. Oh, man. man. Before we get too far into it, I do want to say thank you to Jerrica, who suggested this topic to Jerrica. us. Jerrica! <laughs> my dear friend, who I will do my best to keep alive in our D&D campaign. <laughs> She's died like two times. It's oh, a no. problem. Oh, no. I was gonna say it at the beginning when we first announced the topic, but uh, we were uh, a little, little bit all over the place when we started. I just remembered now, so there you go. Anyway, uh, Rizalka, Rizalka, are a lot of the things that you find on them basically points back to mermaids, as if to say this is just Russian flavored mermaids, which I'm cool with. Yeah, but they they have their own uh, interesting stories. Uh, What what have you got, my friend? Well, just as our generic overview, just to give you some context for what we're about to be talking about for the next hour or so, um, basically originating, as you heard, very hotly debated, this is Slavic, (laughs) generally in Slavic folklore. Um, I did see that the plural was Rusalki. Is that Mm -hmm. something? Yeah, it's kind of fun. I think, I don't know. I think that's fun. Um, It would be fun to say Rusalkas. Yeah, Rusalkas. Not good for me with my lisp, but (laughs) Rusalki. We, we, we'll make it. We'll make it in the end. Um, in general, like we said, they kind of relate back to mermaids. So kind of have that visual. They're female entity who are kind of depicted as like hateful and angry and malevolent towards humanity. And they're associated with water. Not always in the water, though. But, you know, there's a lot of different origins. Um, there are some that say it, it came from like Slavic paganism, where... At that point, they were thought that maybe they were benevolent spirits, uh, and then, as we have talked about many a time, Christianity <laughs> likes to make things evil. Um, but yeah, frequently, frequently resembled the concept of a mermaid, etc. Things like that. Uh, she usually appears in the shape of a, just a gorgeous, beautiful woman, as a lot of of female folk uh, women in folklore do. Uh, at first, they were like they used to be described with like these greenish, bluish 
hair and eyes, like almost like forest nymphy. And then later their hair was depicted as like bright red. And Whoa. also kind of funny, like we said, when they become evil, uh, which is when their hair uh, turned red in, in folklore because red is uh, associated with the with hell and also I have with sin. So a sudden sense memory of uh, romantic era. Um, gosh, what is the term? I want to say literary illustrators, but there are so many pictures of red-haired women in water and i realize that some of them are of ophelia but now i'm yeah. having a memory of just it must be rizalka or something similar because i'm envisioning a painting with yeah. three red-headed women in water yeah i think that's just like a common thing with because like if you think if you think of a lot of women in water based uh folklore like sirens mermaids like the rizalka uh often are associated with killing men and if the case with this, like what I found here, that the color red is the color of sin or the color of like hell, it would kind of make sense that that was so heavily associated with that because they were these man-eating women kind of a thing, which is very funny that that was like the direction that Disney took for The Little Mermaid because, mm. because if they had done like research into that, that that was the reason why it was they were considered or depicted with red hair. It's just kind of funny. <laughs> but not that, not that a 10-year-old watching Little Mermaid would be aware of that but it's just kind of funny i'm into it yeah so the rusalki versus mermaids um a rusalka is usually usually has feet and legs so like not mermaids very much not mermaids even though every single thing i come up with says just look at mermaids i'm like but they're different um they have feet and legs rather than like the fishtail they live in usually rivers or lakes instead of like oceans and seas like mermaids um they come out many times a year, usually, specifically, actually, in the summer, uh, and they like to run around and dance in the woods. They're, they're also associated with woodland life as well as water, but kind of heavily now. I think later myths kind of associate them way more with, with water. Yeah, I mean, I think water's more fun. Yeah. It can be spookier, I think. Like, I don't know, drowning's scary. <laughs> Yeah, I've re also returned to say I was definitely thinking of a water house painting. <laughs> it might just be called a mermaid, but maybe. Yeah, I I mean, they're all pretty pretty cute. I feel like the idea of like when seaweed grabs you, you're like, oh, there's Ooh. something down there. It's, yeah, I'm di I'm dying. I'm dead. I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I am afraid of being in the water. Oh, so. yeah. I actually love, like, open lake swimming, but Caitlin does not enjoy it. <laughs> I, I enjoy being near water, like, but being, like, swimming sometimes freaks me out. The ocean is scary, and That's so... <laughs> I think the ocean is kind of scary. I think it's beautiful, and I love sea life, but we bit. need to protect our oceans, but don't put me in the ocean, please. <laughs> there are fish that are scary and bigger than me and could eat me. Oh, man. Let's go to the ocean. That's my take on that. <laughs> Let's go to a lake. I like I'll, lakes. I'll stick my feet in, but like a whole body in the ocean. There's just other things that live there, and I am intruding, and I don't know if I want to be there. That's I've fair. I've been stung by a jellyfish. I don't know if we've talked about that on, uh, on the podcast <laughs> before, but I have been stung by a jellyfish while I was snorkeling out in like 30 feet of water. Stung by a jellyfish, bullied by a horse. Yeah, I've got some fun ones. Nature doesn't like me very much, apparently. Yeah, that's all right. I mean, 
I'm gonna go jump in a lake after this, and it'll be fun. It's and so cold my good friends out. will be there. Yeah. It's second winter right now, Bernadette. We're, <laughs> we're having second winter here in the Midwest, and it's terrible. Two days ago, it was like 70 degrees, and I could wear a t-shirt and shorts <laughs> if I wanted to, and the sun was out, there was no snow, there was some green starting to show, and then now I had, there's like two feet of snow uh, out everywhere, and it's cold, and everything's melting, but there's still snow everywhere. And this I'm is making upset. me sad. Let's yeah. talk about this fake mermaid lady and Let's how much talk I love her. Yeah. Originally, um, like I said, was originally kind of used within like pagan Slavic people. They they linked the Rusalka with fertility. So she was kind of this like bringer of life at first. Um, she came out of the water in the spring to give moisture to the fields and help nurture crops and like grow plants and bring life back. Like they were the bringer of spring, bringer of life. However, a lot, a lot of legends and a lot of, like, the immediate thing that you're going to see when you look them up talks about how they're, like, ghosts of drowned women, it, brides who were killed before their wedding day, deceived what? lovers, or people who killed themselves. Like, it's really, like, it's, it's, it started out with such this, like, wholesome, like, very springy, life-giving thing, and now it now it's a, a haunted ghoul who is out for blood. Like it's really interesting the the shift in in view of this of this creature. I mean, if it if it is any way vaguely sexual, it must be bad. Of course, or if it's just a if just a woman or pagan or especially both, Christianity says they're evil. <laughs> well. Just making myself sad again. Yeah. You know what? Guess what? These things are awesome, and we're going to bring them back as a thing that everyone loves. And yeah. isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, the turn in their lore kind of shifted around the 19th century, uh, and at this point, they are dangerous and unquiet, and they're unable to rest, and they're associated with an unclean spirit. Um... Like we said, usually death by drowning because they were unhappy. It was just literally just like, so, like some of the things are like he says here, like quote, were violently drowned against their will. Like, and, oh my and, gosh! It's, and like it's so dark, and it's like especially after becoming pregnant with unwanted children or abused by their husband. Like it's real. Like it's all really sad and really really dark. These poor ladies. Uh, but after they. After they've drowned or died by water, they have, they're forced by whatever wills are out there that they have to live out their, quote, designated time on Earth as, as a Rasulka. So, like, this is also kind of, like, this made me think back to the Dulahan, in which someone was, like, cursed to live out the rest of their designated time on Earth as a Dulahan. Like, I just think that's kind of funny that we have, there's a clock, you clocked out early, so now you have to deal with this <laughs> for Yuck. a hot minute. But yeah, not all, though, like, and like I was talking about earlier, Lord, not all of them were linked with death by water, which is, I, I like those ones. <laughs> there's, oh, there's also one that says that they're lake-dwelling souls of children who died unbaptized or a virgin who is drowned, whether, quote, accidentally or purposefully. What? <laughs> I just oh boy it's just I just have a lot I just have a big list of talking about ways people died that become Rusalki but they come back to haunt that waterway that's yeah well I guess that's kind of like a cool origin story for them but I I gotta say I prefer them as kind of 
inherent nature spirits. Yeah, I really they're, they're kind of like they feel very like like dryad, naiad, that kind of a thing. There is the one thing if you can avenge her death, she'll be able to like rest in peace, which is nice. Oh. That's nice. Yeah. It's like a detective story. Mhm. <laughs> There's a couple of different, like, personalities or, like, origins, I guess. Around the Danube, uh, they are beautiful, charming girls. They're dressed in, like, these robes made of mist, and they sing uh, bewitching songs to passerbys. In Russia, they are ugly, unkempt, wicked, usually naked, and really eager to ambush you. Um, no! Yeah, I think that's kind of funny. But they, they love to entice men is essentially, like, their, their deal. They're very much, very siren-esque. In that, in that, in that matter, they just really like to torture dudes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can support that yeah. as a modus operandi. Mm-hmm. That's not what that word means. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, look, I get it. I get it. But also, maybe you're just chilling in the lake, living your best life in a way that doesn't involve mortar. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know how, if you were a sulky, you would likely, your preferred method of, of catching men and drowning them? Mm, please tell me. <laughs> so first, you would seduce, seduce a dude with your voice, get him, like, all just ready to hear that music. Then you kind of, like, entice him into the water, where then you tangle his feet with your long red hair and submerge them. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely some seaweed fear. I know. After which, uh, your body becomes very, very slippery so that your victim cannot try to, like, scrabble off of you to get back up above the water. They would have no purchase to try to, like, push off of you. Uh, There is also, you would also either, A, wait until they had drowned, or if you're feeling feeling punchy, maybe uh, tickle them to death. Well, <laughs> that sure is. A, a, how would you die from tickling? From laughing a lot? I, I guess or... maybe you're. I mean, I don't know if that one is specifically if you're also underwater because that oh, would make it yeah, very difficult. Need... However, it doesn't say by like is you're drowned or tickled to death. So I don't really know the manner in which if you're just feeling funky that day and you tickle fight, tickle fight to the death. But I don't know. I, I guess. I mean, it would definitely stink if you were underwater. Yeah, it would be real rough. I feel like because this is tangentially related, I can mention one time in a D&D game, uh, I think it was a one-shot, y'all encountered uh, sirens, and it basically became a struggle of determining who at the table was attracted to uh, female presenting things, and it ended up just boning most of the party. Yeah, well, also because my character had no wisdom, and I failed every single wisdom saving throw, and I just wanted to hit something. My big dumb fighter, who had no intelligence and no wisdom, because I couldn't couldn't break out of their thing, so I was just like, yeah, I'm gonna drown myself. Like, that was- Very dumb. (laughs) Toya said, yes. Yes, please. Yes, please. Oh my god, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah. I I forgot we encountered them. I I always think back to, like, our campaign campaign, but we did, in a one-shot, encounter encounter these guys, or something similar. And another another memorable moment from that uh, small one-shot was y'all using spider climb to cross a gap, and uh, the caster uh, dropping the spell on accident. On accident, sending and then Toya me just going 
spiraling into a spike pit. That was fun. Oh, that was, that actually, was fun. That was really fun. <laughs> hey, I love D&D. Me too. Have we mentioned that on the show? Have we ever mentioned how much we love D&D? I love roleplay games. They're fun. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, yeah. we have a topic to come back to. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm here on, like, the detour train. That's not a phrase. It is now. Trains down detour. <laughs> that would be interesting they if they could. Train tracks. <sighs> Just hop off and keep going. Mm-hmm. Well, boy, mm-hmm. I have some stuff to talk about. Please and by some it. stuff, I mean uh, 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 Antonin uh, Dvorak and his opera, which... Dvorak? 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 He's, He's Czech, right? Yeah. I believe it then it would be Dvorak. Uh, but it, all the things say it's Dvorak. Huh. I just know a couple Dvorak's in my town. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Little, little Prague. No, apparently he is Dvorak or Dvorzak. Dvorzak. And I'm very sorry for all of the people who are very much into uh, operas and classical music. I'm doing my best. He was a. He vaguely looks like uh, like the guy who played Peter in Warehouse 13, but with a full beard and kind of a <laughs> perpetual worried expression. Yes. Uh, and here's some quick bio information, because I don't know anything about uh, composers. He was born, <clears throat> in, he's Czech, he was uh, September 8th, 1841. To uh, May 1st, 1904. And apparently he was very influenced by Johannes Brahms. Mm. Uh, There was a Wagnerian influence. (laughs) Like, I know that these people exist. And I've heard these songs. But I don't... I just don't know enough about classical music. (laughs) Maybe one day we'll have someone who, like, took a lot of music theory classes on it. Yeah. I am, though, a fan of the word now Wagnerian, and... Wagnerian. Wagnerian, that's a good word. It, it's probably Wagnerian, I've realized, because well, yeah, he's Wagner. Be Va- yeah, that's true, it'd be Wagnerian, but still a good word. Hunting rabbits. That was a terrible joke, and I'm sorry. Uh, Wagner wrote Flight of the Bumblebees, right? Hmm. It's gonna turn out that that's not even the name of the song. Anyway, apparently John Williams later stole uh, uh, stole music from his Allegro con fuoco ending movement uh, to use in Jaws, so that that iconic he stole it from Dvorak. 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 I'm saying Dvorak because that's like the actress. Okay. Uh, who claimed that she was related to him, but she was born Anna McKim, and then she said, no, my name is Anne Dvorak. <laughs> uh, Flight, which, Flight I mean... The, Flight of the Bumblebees, an orchestral interlude written by Nikolai Rimsky-Korsivak. Kor- Whoa, that was all of those letters I said were not in the right order. Kors- <laughs> Korsakov. Whoops. Sorry, Mr. Korsakov. That's for, Korsakov. For an opera, the tale of Tsar Sultan. Welp. Nailed it. Am I thinking of Flight of the Valkyries? Ooh, let's find da, out. Da, 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 oh, yeah, that's Valkyries, yeah. yeah I think what Flight I was singing, though, is Flight of... You know what? That's, that's, don't that's Wagner. Me. That's I don't Wilhelm at, Richard Wagner. I don't ever want to be corrected on this. Also, I'm sorry, my levels are going to be way too high because I sl- sl- was shouting. 
It's okay. I don't want to know if I'm right or wrong. (laughs) I want to live in ignorance. It's okay. I've already corrected you. No, but I, I don't know which song I'm thinking of oh, when no, I you said that, tune. That is, that is Valkyries, yes. And that is Wagner. Yes. Anyway, that, one that I was do, a that one fun... I... God. <laughs> You're right, we, we are at a practice. This so, is a disaster. <laughs> it's been a hot minute, y'all. I'm really sorry, people at home, but... Glad to be back in the saddle. You signed up for this. <laughs> this is no one's fault but yours. <laughs> it's definitely our fault for t- mm. not recording for two whole weeks. Look, I my my physical more than corpus that. was Has it was more than that? Yeah, I can't tell more time. Than that. Anyway, let's talk about this uh this music musical. God, <laughs> do it. This opera, uh, which is like a musical but less fun for me <laughs> personally. I, I think operas are cool. I like listening to operettas. I can't say that I've ever listened to a proper opera because I ain't got the brain for it. My dad listens to a lot of them, and I'm I'm sure that our taste in music is very basic. So uh, <laughs> don't get on me, classical people. I thought about uh, I thought about listening to. The I like Tchaikovsky. <laughs> I thought about listening or watching. Cause there's some. There are a lot of clips online of this of this opera. And I was gonna watch some and definitely had the time, but I never got around to it. So, I would like to be like to be educated on it. What you, what you got? It's lovely music. Hmm. I think it's worth like listening to. I don't know enough about operas. Are kind of weird for me because they have you know they're not exactly like musical theater and they're not like operettas which are enough like musical theater that I'm comfortable consuming them <laughs> but uh I get I get real confused especially cause uh you know it's not in English but you know what that's okay I got like when I was oh god I would must have been in like middle school I got to be in a performance with some opera singers like whoa actual opera singers like it was so I'm I've always been very fascinated with the opera like it's a weird thing that I've never, it's not something I've ever pursued or like watched a ton of, but I think because of that, because when I was little, I got to sing with some like opera singers. I was part of like a big, of a, of a town chorus and we got to go travel and like sing. We sang like Beethoven's ninth and whatever in its entirety and very cool. But we had some like actual opera singers doing solos for us. It was so cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I, I love opera singers, like getting to hear them because it is like the, musical equivalent of being like a virtuoso like there's yeah. no doubt that they have absolute control of their voice it's so cool. uh my friend leslie is an opera singer and she's just very cool and every oh, time right. i hear her i'm just like hmm i forget that that's a thing that people can do with their <laughs> bodies but uh yeah that's wild let's so it's basically the little mermaid like don't like don't get too excited it doesn't have quite a like a bunch of russian flavor or anything it's you know girl or well spirit falls in love with human prince uh trades her voice to a water witch oh uh goes uh loses the love of the prince and uh well kind of doesn't die actually so let's go through this piece by piece (laughs) let's unpack it so uh rosalka is a water nymph and she lives in a lake and uh, she falls in love with a human prince who is unnamed. He's just called the prince in the opera, which is apparently pretty common for that kind of thing. Um, 
So she falls in love with him and goes to the water witch, uh, Jezubaba. <laughs> she's just a normal witch, po- possibly. Some of them say that she's, like, some of them cast her. I think people uh, sometimes reflavor it in, in modern interpretations, where sometimes she's more like a, a witch doing her own thing. Sometimes she, like, just how Rosalka has a mermaid tail in uh, most productions, or at least from the photos I saw, which is counter to what we were talking about with Rosalka as having human feet, which would make this whole thing less of a problem, but it doesn't work that way. So anyway, Jezubaba uh, says, hey, you give up your voice, which is a bad thing to do in a musical performance. Um, and uh, she does, which stinks. Anyway, the prince is originally charmed because she's real cute, but uh, gets bored with her because she doesn't talk, and instead falls in love with, worth saying, the distinctly evil foreign <laughs> princess. Not just, like, another interesting lady. Evil. Very like, evil. manipulative. I think uh, one of the things I, I watched her song, an interesting thing that I think happens often in opera, I couldn't say how, how uh, common this is, but... Uh, Rizalka in her songs is like a soprano, and then, uh, and then the evil princess is more of like a, a mezzo soprano, which reminds me of in like a, in a lot of shows, like in Great Comet, you have uh, you have kind of the contrast between a soprano Dichotomy, and a, yeah, yeah, which I mean, it's not a bad trope, but it, it's a, I liked I liked her song, um, the. The sad thing is that the prince, prince don't like her, and uh, Rizalka's dad uh, curses the prince because he <laughs> stinks, and uh, Rizalka, uh, realizing that her love has fallen in love with someone else, uh, goes to the lake and tries to find out how she can become a human, and uh, Jezebaba says, yeah, sure, of course you can, you just have to stab him. Uh, uh, yes, oh yes. And she says, no, but I love him. And Jezbaba's like, okay, you do you. <laughs> you uh, do that. <laughs> anyway, as a result, rather than either staying as a human or, say, uh, anything else, just becoming a normal water spirit becomes a demon of death. So, like, the, the murdery Rizalka. Anyway, Prince <laughs> cursed by her dad. Uh comes and seeks her out, and he's like, oh, I'm so sad that I, I'm sorry that I chose other evil lady over you, person I haven't had a conversation with. Um, and then he meets Rizalka and wants her to kiss him and put him to death because he's real sick. Uh, and she's like, all right, and then they sing a duet, and then they kiss, and then he dies, and Rizalka becomes a vengeful spirit of death. And, uh, <laughs> That's all to say that it's kind of a bummer, but it's one of those yeah. things where it's like, oh, it's a beautiful bummer. No one says that. Uh, and one thing I thought was interesting is in researching this, uh, the a review for uh, for uh, the play from the uh, Glinden. I'm saying uh, a lot. We God, it's been forever. I'm sorry. We're, no, uh, Glindeborn Festival. The Glindeborn Festival. I believe this is written by Anna Maria Martinez. 
Uh, nope, that's the name of the lady who plays Rizalka. There's not a byline on this. I'm looking really <laughs> hard for it. The point is that the author opens with a uh, a five-paragraph metaphor uh, for uh, a five-paragraph thing comparing Lord of the Rings adaptation to Rizalka from the myth, <laughs> uh, which is to say... When novelist J.R.R. Tolkien's trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, became a trio of block... This is from 2009. The films added an element of the plotline that Tolkien basically ignored. Romance. So it's basically talking about how uh, they added in romance from, you know, boring old water nymph. I don't really get why they have to point out the adaptation point. Like, Hans Christian Andersen, the stuff it's based on has romance in it. Maybe they just really love Lord of the Rings and they were like, yeah, I'll write this review of the play, but you have to let me talk about Lord of the Rings in the intro. That's how you hook people, (laughs) is you make an extended metaphor about Arwen and Aragorn. There you go. Yeah, so... Bummer. In this version, this is the one I was talking about, she's got a mermaid tail when she's a water spirit. Her dad is kind of like covered in barnacles, which made me think of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of, uh, kind of a weird bit is one of the photos they have of the production costumes, uh, Rizalka has a, like, a blue headband and a blue dress, and I realized that it doesn't have to be a reference to the Disney film, <laughs> but my brain is so inundated with their content that it was like, uh-huh. Like that. And, God. Welcome <laughs> to the to the kingdom of Disney. In other news, let's enjoy uh, the monopoly under our righteous overlords and his his mousiness. God. <laughs> <laughs> I just... Why am I so mad at this? Uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know what you were doing. We have assumed a media monopoly. <laughs> Suffer in our corporate dystopia. <laughs> Riku? <laughs> Open the door to darkness. Oh my god. I spent the entirety of our playthrough of Kingdom Hearts 3 trying really hard to do a Donald Duck impression. Uh, And I just can't. Oh man. Oh my god. We're a professional show. What what was that? Say that again? What, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry that anyone had to have that in their ears. Oh no, I'm pulling out my mic. We so make much. a very quality quality show. Um, anyway, you're, you're all very welcome. Uh, and then that's all I have on the opera, and then I have a short story from uh, Orpheus in Mayfair and other stories by um, Maurice Baring, uh, which is in the Project Gutenberg. Yay, Gutenberg! Gutenberg! You know that apparently Gutenberg was a drunk. Hmm. 
Interesting. But to be fair, I think most people were in a certain point <laughs> in history. We did get a Gutenberg fun fact a while ago. What? Find... Do you remember? Mr. I think Goots? I sent it to you. Yeah, oh, Gut- yeah. We talked about this, I think. Did we talk about it? I think, I think we talked about it, but I don't know if we ever talked about it on, on the show. Can we this call them the Goots? The Goots? Yeah. So it sounds like was... it might be a bad word. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Sounds like glutes, like butt. Oh, uh, yeah. This is from... Uh, Do you think Gutenberg had a good butt? That... <laughs> I don't know. I'll let you leave that to your imagination. Uh, this is from at KB Tibbs on Twitter, who told us... This was a while back. This is on the uh, Kitsune episode. Uh, they said, in this episode, it was mentioned that Gutenberg sounds like a place. In fact, Johannes Gutenberg's real last name was Gensfleisch. Gutenberg was the name of his family's estate. He changed it as an adult, emphasis because he was broke, question mark, and hiding from creditors, question mark. Maybe, question mark, history is vague. And I love that fun fact. <laughs> One of my favorite things about history is the idea of, like, how easy it would be to fake who you are in the age before, like, widely available communication technology. Yeah. Like, uh, like how Saint Germain Germain and stuff like that, where I'm just like, I want to go there and pretend to be a wizard. We have to talk about the Count of Saint Germain. That has to be an episode we do. Oh my god, that's going on the list. All right, go on the list. Okay. Love that that wacky guy, wizard. (laughs) Love that wacky wizard. Anyway, uh, I got this short story. Do you want to hear it? Yes, I do. I think it is approximately one internet page, so I think it will be acceptable. <laughs> I, I don't know much about this author, but their, their collection is called Orpheus in Mayfair and Other Stories and Sketches. Maurice Baring. Okay. Rizalka, spelled R-U-S-S-A-L-K-A, so extra S in there. Peter, or Petrushka, which was the name he was known by, was the carpenter's mate. His hair was like light straw, and his eyes were mild and blue. He was good at his trade, a quiet and sober youth. Thoughtful, too, for he knew how to read and had read several books when he was still a boy. A translation of Monte Cristo once fell into his hands, and the king story had kindled his imagination and stirred in him the desire to travel, to see new countries and strange people. He had made up his mind to leave the village and try his luck in one of the big towns when, before he was eighteen, something happened to him that entirely changed the colors of his thoughts and the range of his desires. It was an ordinary experience, though. He fell in love. He fell in love with Tatiana, who worked at the starch factory. Tatiana's eyes were gray, her complexion was white, her features were small and delicate, and her hair a beautiful dark brown with gold lights and black shadows in it. Her movements were quick, and her glance glance keen. She was like a swallow. It happened when the snows melted and the meadows were flooded, the first fine day in April. The larks were singing over the plains, which were beginning to show themselves once more under the melting snow. The sun shone on in large patches on the water and turned the flooded meadows of the the valley into fantastic vision. It was on the Sunday after church that this new thing happened. He had often seen Tatiana before. That day she was different and new to him. It was as if a bandage had been taken from his eyes, and at the same moment that he realized Tatiana was a new Tatiana. He also knew that the old world in which he had lived hitherto had crumbled to pieces, and that the new world, far brighter and wonderful, had been created for him. 
As for Tatiana, she loved him at once. There was no delay, no hesitation, no misunderstandings, no doubt. And at the first not much speech, but first love came to them straight and swift with the first sunshine of spring, as it does to birds. All the spring and summer they kept company and walked together in the evenings. When the snows melted entirely and a true spring came, it came with a rush. In a fortnight's time, all the trees except the ash were green, and bees boomed round in thick clusters of pear blossom and apple blossom, which shone like snow against the bright azure. During that time, Petrushka and Tatiana walked in the apple orchard in the evening, and they talked to each other in the divinest of all languages, the language of first love, which, no lang- which is no language but a confused medley and murmur of broken phrases, whisperings, twitterings, pauses, and silences, a language so wonderful it cannot be put down in speech and words, although Shakespeare and the very great poets translate the spirit of it into music, and the great musicians catch the echo of it in their song. Then, a fortnight later, when the woods were carpeted and thick with lilies of the valley, Petrushka and Tatiana walked in the woods and picked the last white violets, and later again they sought the alleys of the landlord's property, where the lilac bushes were a mass of blossom and fragrance, and there they listened to the nightingale, the bird of spring. Then came the summer, the fragrance of the bean fields, the ripening of corn, and the wonderful long twilights, and July, when the corn tall and ripe and stiff, changed into plains of vast, rippling oceans of gold. After the harvest, at the very beginning of autumn, they were to be married. There had been a slight difficulty about money. Tatiana's father had insisted that Petrushka should produce a certain not very large sum, but the difficulty had been overcome and the money had been found. There were no more obstacles, everything was smooth and settled. Petrushka no longer thought of travels to foreign lands. He had forgotten the old dreams which Monte Cristo had once kindled in him. It was the middle of August that the carpenter received instructions from the landowner how to make some small wooden steps and a small raft to fix them up on the banks of a river for the convenience of bathers. It did not take the carpenter and Petrushka long to make these things, and one afternoon Petrushka drove down to the river to fix them in their place. The river was broad, and the banks were wooded with willow trees, and the undergrowth was thick, for the woods reached to the river bank, which was flat, but which ended sheer above the water over a slope of mud and roots, so that a bather needed steps or a raft or a springboard, so as to dive and enter the water with comfort. Petrushka puts the steps in their place, which was like which was where the wood ended, and made fast the floating raft to them. Not far from the bank, the ground was marshy, and the spot was suspected by some people of being haunted by malaria. It was a still, sultry day. The river was like oil, the sky clouded and not entirely overclouded, and among the high banks of gray cloud there were patches of blue. When Petrushka had finished the job, he sat on the wooden steps, rolling some tobacco into a primitive cigarette, and contemplated the gray, oily water and the willow trees. It was too late in the year, he thought, to make a bathing place. He dipped his hand in the water. It was cold, but not too cold. In a fortnight's time, it would not be pleasant to bathe. However, people had their whims, and he mused on the scheme of the universe, which ordained that certain people should have whims, and that they should humor those whims whether they liked it or not. Many people, many of his fellow workers, talked of the day and when the universal leveling would take place when all men could be equal. Petrushka did not much believe in the advent of that day. He was not quite sure he ardently desired it. In any case, he was happy as he was. At that moment, he heard two sharp, short sounds, less musical than a pipe, but not so 
loud or harsh as a scream. He looked up. A kingfisher had flown across the oily water. Petrushka shouted, Petrushka shouted, and the kingfisher was over the water once more and disappeared into the other trees on the other side of the river. Petrushka rolled and lit another cigarette. Presently, he heard two sharp sounds once more, and the kingfisher darted across the water. A bit of fish in its beak. It disappeared into the bank of the river on the same side Petrushka was sitting, only further down. It's not supposed to be there, said Petrushka, and he remembered that he had heard it said that no one had ever been able to carry off a kingfisher's nest intact. Why should he not be the first person to do so? He was skillful with his fingers, his touch was sure and light, it was evidently a carpenter's job, and few carpenters had the leisure or opportunity to look for kingfisher's nests. What a rare present it would be for Tatiana, a whole kingfisher's nest with every bone in it intact. He walked stealthily through the bushes down the bank of the river, making as little noise as possible. He thought he had marked the spot where the kingfisher dived into the bank. As he walked, the undergrowth grew thicker and the path darker, for he had reached the woods, and on the outskirts and end there was a spot where he had made his steps. He walked on and on without thinking, oblivious to his surroundings, until he suddenly realized that he had gone too far. Moreover, he must have been walking for some time, for it was getting dark, or was it a thunder shower? The air, too, was unbearably sultry. He stopped and wiped his forehead with a big print handkerchief. It was impossible to reach the bank from the place where he now stood, and he was separated from it by a wide ditch of stagnant water. He therefore retraced his footsteps through the wood. It grew darker and darker. It must be, he thought, the evening deepening, and no storm. All at once he was startled. But he had heard a sound, a high pipe. Was it the kingfisher? He paused and listened. Distinctly, and not far off in the undergrowth, he heard a, a laugh, a woman's laugh. It flashed across his, across his mind that it might be Tatiana, but it was not her laugh. Something rustled in the bushes to the left of him. He followed the rustling, and it led him into the bushes. He had now passed the dish to the river bank. The sun had set behind the woods from which he had once emerged. The sky was as gray as the water, and there was no reflection of the sunset to be cast. Except the water and the trees, he saw nothing. There was not a sound to be heard, not a ripple on the river, not a whisper from the woods. Then all at once the stillness was broken by quick, rippling laughs immediately behind him. He turned sharply around and saw a woman in the bushes. Her eyes were large and green and sad, her hair straggling and disheveled. She was dressed in reeds and leaves, and she was very pale. She stared him fixedly. She smiled, showing gleaming teeth. And when she smiled, there was no light nor laughter in her eyes, which remained sad and green and glazed like those of a drowned person. She laughed again and ran into the bushes. Petrushka ran after her, but although he was quite close to her, he had lost all trace of her immediately. It was as if she had vanished under the earth or into the air. It's a Rizalka, thought Petrushka, and he shivered. He added to himself with the pride of skepticism he had learned from the new factory hands. There is no such thing. Only women believe in such thing. It was some drunken woman. Petrushka walked quickly back to the edge of the woods where he had left his cart and drove home. The next day was Sunday and Tatiana noticed that he was different, moody, melancholy, and absent-minded. She asked him what was the matter and he had said his head ached. Towards five o'clock he told her they were standing outside her cottage that he was obliged to go to the river to work. "'Today is a holiday,' she said quietly. "'I left something there yesterday, one of my tools. I much fetch it,' he explained. Tatiana looked at him, and her intuition told her, firstly, that it was not true, and secondly, that it was not well for Petrushka to go to the river. 
She begged him not to go. Petrushka left and said he would be back quickly. Tatiana cried and implored her on her knees not to go. Then Petrushka grew irritable and almost rough, and told her not to vex him with foolishness. Reluctantly and sadly, she gave in at last. Petrushka went to the river, and Tatiana watched him go with a heavy heart. She felt quite certain some disaster was about to happen. At seven o'clock, Petrushka had not yet returned, and he did not return that night. The next morning, the carpenter and two others went down to the river to look for him. They found his body in the shallow water entangled in the ropes of the raft he had made. He had been drowned, no doubt, in setting the raft straight. During all that Saturday night, Tatiana said no word, nor had she moved from her doorstep. It was only when they brought back the dripping body to the village that she stirred, and when she saw it, she laughed a dreadful laugh, and the spirit went from her eyes, leading a fixed stare. And that's it. And I... So, pretty long, obviously. I think the writing about first love is pretty... Uh, but I love the implication that a Rasalka is created when the Rasalka kills the love of a woman, and the woman seeing the body of their beloved then becomes a Rasalka. Yeah, I like that. I think that's a really cool origin story. Yeah, sorry, my reading's not the best, but uh, some really beautiful wordplay in there. Uh, has the feel of like a a horror movie about like hey look at this beautiful couple god they're so beautiful and so happy now watch them suffer (laughs) Uh, but how it's implied without being too heavy-handed that tatiana becomes rizalka i think is pretty fantastic Mm -hmm. yeah so i wonder what happened to the uh rizalka before she's freed somehow from the cycle yeah maybe just more rizalka yeah probably (laughs) i i return very swiftly to uh, give you a little information on Maurice Berry, who wrote that. Yes, uh, please. You know, English intellectual sounds like um, he was in the intelligence corps, corps in the Royal Air Force, and was apparently like pretty charming and intellectual and kind of upper class. But you know, never know what cruddiness that discovers. But uh, <laughs> that covers. But you know, handsome dude doing his thing, apparently good at it. Uh, my favorite part of his Wikipedia page is, he once gave Virginia Woolf a copy of his book, C. She was not impressed, writing in her diary, second-rate art, i.e. C, by Maurice Baring. Within its limits, it is not second-rate, or there is nothing markedly so at first go-off. The limits are proof of its non-existence. He can only do one thing, himself to wit, charming, clean, modest, sensitive Englishman. Outside that radius, it does not carry far or loom much. As is, as all should it be, light, sure, proportion, affecting, even, told so in a well-bred manner that nothing is a exaggerated, all-related proportion. I could read this forever, I said. L said one would soon be sick to death of it. So it's kind of like, you're just kind of okay. I, I love, that's rough. I love reading about p- diary roasts. It's fun. God. Virginia Woolf. Apparently the uh, character, the protagonist of The Men Who Knew Too Much was based on him, uh, except uh, everyone says the character in the book is kind of uh, charmless and boring, but the guy was apparently pretty interesting. (laughs) I don't know. It's one of those things where uh, when all you look at is what they wrote, 
and what other people said, it's hard to get a sense for who they were. But yeah, yeah. If if you're interested in in the writing, I I thought it was perfectly serviceable and nice. And Virginia Woolf really slammed on him hard. <laughs> I I can only assume. God, to be honest, I think Virginia Woolf would probably have some sick burns to say about me. So <laughs> just that sick burns. Beautiful lady, <laughs> man. We should so, talk about one of uh, her her works at some point. Definitely. So, did you at all read at all about the Rusalki Week? No. There is a week called Rusalki Week that's at the beginning of the summer where supposedly nymphs are supposed to emerge from the water and like climb into weeping willow and birch trees until nightfall and they dance and like essentially i'm assuming like fairy ring style into the moonlight and if you join them you have to dance until you die and uh (laughs) the next week the grass will be thicker kind of fairy ring style but uh they're supposed to be at their most dangerous during the rusalka week which is in early june i think that's very very fun they kind of, they leave their, their watery depths and then, like, play in the woods and in the trees. And it's uh, supposedly strictly forbidden to go swimming during this week because you would get dragged out down to the river floor. There's also a common feature of the celebration of it was ritual banishment and or burial of the Rusalki until the, at the end of the week. Oh! Uh, which remained as entertainment in Russia, Belarus, and Ukraine until the 1930s. Sounds fun! <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> very interesting. I have a feeling that Rusalki Week used to be like a because what the Rusalki oh, used yeah, to be like used to be like a f- like fertility a, festival. Yeah, yeah, essentially. You know, something like May Day. Yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, I don't know. I really love. There's a lot of depictions of them. Like they're they're seen like combing their hair. They're usually they've got these white gowns on, long hair and wa- like wild long hair. I think it's fun. I I did read one uh, description of how they k- keep their hair as quote always unbraided and wild, like witches or soon to be brides. <laughs> I thought that was a fun fun thought on that. Um, these are some things that probably should have gone earlier, but we've we're all over the place, and y'all are just gonna have yeah, to man. go go with us. Um, they are, they're sometimes, like I kind of mentioned earlier, their skin kind of has a little bit of a green tint to it sometimes because they've been exposed to seaweed. They sometimes, there's some stories where they fall in love with a human man. And of course that doesn't go well because when does that ever go well? <laughs> As we kind of talked about earlier. She'll, she haunts rivers. Uh, there's, oh, I did see one thing that even like Slavic gods and many other like deity status people couldn't, couldn't, resist the beauty of Rusalka. I thought that was pretty fun. Huge fan of that. One, we kind of talked about how they're different from mermaids, that they were, there's some fiction like works in which they uh, have legs and feet, but can't really stand out of water. They just kind of like pull themselves out and kind of like wriggle around, I guess. Um, Some they can, obviously, because they go and dance, but they go, even if they can't like quite walk, they'll go up and like climb up trees and sing songs and stuff. There's a lot of depictions of them sitting on docks or submerged with only their feet in the water, combing their hair, uh, dancing, that kind of a thing. In Ukraine, they're linked with water. In Belarus, they were kind of thought to be more linked with forest and field stuff where, like, the land was fertile, I guess. In Russia, they appeared as women who came out of the water on specific nights and would have participate in a festival without harming anyone but then in uh in in uh quote harsher areas they were pictured as large-breasted amazons (laughs) yeah 
in Poland, the, they were younger and fair-haired, uh, the water ones were, and then forest ones looked more like mature and had black hair. But in both cases, if you looked really, really close, their hair would kind of turn green and you would notice that their faces became distorted. So you kind of kind of wanted maybe like a sort of a glamour thing going on, mm-hmm. which is fun. Check them out in a mirror. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, that kind of a thing. Uh, they would, and this is still the Poland one, they killed their victims by tickling them to death, something we see often, or forcing them to participate in a frenzied dance in which you would ha- have to end by death. <laughs> Um, I mean, it does definitely sound like a uh, like something that would be like an adjusted fertility festival. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because like a lot of the things, like a lot of the imagery is really bizarre, like coming from a thing that supposedly is a man eater, where it's like sitting on a dock and brushing your hair and bringing water to the land and flowers and trees and whatever. But then also they drown men. Like so, like you can tell that there was like a change um, around the 19th century, which is interesting. Uh, apart like they kind of threaten people whatever they're a danger to society in some areas they supposedly cause storms and hail especially if people who live there are rude to them <laughs> or oh. don't pay respect which is fun I enjoy that changing the weather because people were mean to you some of their powers include shape-shifting which is interesting oh um, I didn't know that yeah sometimes like they're able to kind of alter in some places alter their appearance to kind of be the the preference of the man they're trying to drown kind of a thing so she'll look how he would want her to look oh, basically okay. um, they could also though transform into fish frogs and other water animals uh, and I did see one that they could also turn into horses so that's fun <laughs> oh you know what that sounds a lot like uh, what are they called kelpies yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. kelpies lure people thinking like, oh, what a lovely horse, and then they are carried off into the ocean to drown. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and like a lot of. I wonder if those are just two conflated myths, or maybe I don't know. There are a lot of horses are associated a lot with the water, which is very funny. You wouldn't think it was, but like if you think like Poseidon, god of the ocean, and also like horses, <laughs> so I'm not too surprised that they are kind of related a little bit. Oh man. But yeah. That's the end of my fun fact list that I had kind of my last little scraps of info there at the end. We have next, let's go to D&D Corner. Uh, they, there is a homebrew class that I found. There's not like a legit D&D 5e or anything, but they are a medium fiend. They are chaotic evil. They have 13 armor class. They have 34 hit points. Uh, challenge rating 2, so they're pretty low. They have, uh, they're, they're called of the deep. They are beings made of a soul bound to the waters that drown them. Oh. Uh, yeah, they take 3d6 necrotic damage for every hour they're out of a wet environment, which is pretty cool. I like that a lot. Um, they're a spellcaster at third level. Uh, they have a couple druid spells, like poison spray, fog cloud, entangle, hold burst, and that kind of a thing. They can uh, wrap you up and you take damage for being grappled by them. They've got claws which is kind of cool. You can be paralyzed if you don't make a constitution saving throw. Uh, And they have a really cool reaction that I really like called one with water. And once per long rest, the Rasalka can return its body to shapeless water and flee from combat so long as there's enough water to travel through. Oh, I I love that. I really like that a lot. I think that's super cool. But yeah, that's so that's you can find. This is on D&D Beyond homebrew section. You can check that out. If you just search uh, a Rasalka... D&D, it, it should be one of the first things that comes up. Uh, let's jump into Pop Culture Corner. So there's just a ton of stuff called Rusalka. There is uh, a short story by Oris Somov. There's a poem by Mikhail Lermontov. There is an opera by Dargal Mishish. 
Wow. D-A-R-G-O-M-Y-Z-H-S-K-Y. Dark. Give it a go. Gomishki. Dargomishki. Domshki. Gardomshki. That's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> Sorry to the Russians. Uh, there's an unfinished opera title that there's the opera we talked about. There is another poem. There is another poem. There's literally, there's just so much. There's uh, The Merman's Children by Paul Anderson, had a Rusalka as the lover of one of the main characters in a fantasy novel called the Rusalka Trilogy. Uh, the Boathouse by Stephen Gallagher, uh, where Rusalka flees her homeland and attempts to settle in English lakes. The Last Wish, which is a Polish novel from the Witcher series, where the main character encounters a Rusalka that has fallen in love with a cursed man. There's a short film no, uh, shown in Petrov's paint-on-glass anima- uh, animation techniques, which is kind of cool. Uh, to This Water, a short story. The Rusalka Cycle, Songs Between Worlds, a performance piece and CD uh, by uh, the women's California-based women's vocal group Kitka. Uh, Fatima Rusalka, a single by the metal band uh, Elsana. There's a Greek black metal band called Rotting uh, Christ. Their 11th album has a track called Rusalka. <laughs> uh, the Book of Speculation, a novel, a debut film featuring a Rusalka character, featuring Rusalka characters in a traveling circus. Uh, there's a British independent feature film called Rusalka Pictures. Rusalka Rusalka, Wild Rushes is a song by the Decemberists. <laughs> uh, Quest for Glory, Shadow of Darkness, Magic the Gathering has Rusalka. Devil May Cry 4, uh, ha- there is a demon called Baal who has two anglerfish glowing feelers called Rusalka, which is interesting. Castlevania has the fifth boss shown as an aquatic demon, maybe, maybe Rusalka. Is the name uh, Rusalka is the name of a number station transmission ship in the video game in uh, Call of Duty. Obviously, the video game Call of Duty, mm, my favorite video uh, game. In uh, the 3DS video game uh, Bravery, Bravery Default, they appear as monsters in The Incredible Adventures of Van Helsing. They are in Madam Secretary. This is, well, no, sorry. There's a name. The name of episode three of Madam Secretary is Rusalka. There are an Axiom Verge is a video game with a bunch of them. Cool. Yeah, literally didn't mean to read the whole list. There's a ton. There's even more than that. But uh, lots of things just called Rusoka. And a a lot of, as always, a lot of video games. Castlevania usually uh, makes a feature in our, uh, in Pop Hmm. Culture Corner. But yeah, I think that is, I think that is all we have for today. I can't tell if this episode is going to go go long because we had a lot of shenanigans at the, the beginning. Said may or may not a get bunch cut of out. Garbage people. Yeah, we're getting used to being back in the saddle again. Sorry so much for that uh, that unexpected uh, and also partially unannounced week off. Yeah, I am sorry. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Stonehouses. Our next episode will go up on Sunday, April twenty first. I believe. I think. Yeah. To, probably. Um, in our announcements, we have a coffee. If you have a couple bucks you'd like to throw away to support uh, this tomfoolery, you can find us at ko-fi.com forward slash stonehousescast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share our show with a friend, rate, review, subscribe. It means a ton to us. It tells podcast hosting sites that we're worth a listen and they're more likely to show our show to more potential listeners. Um, we're available pretty much wherever podcasts are peddled. We're working on getting a few more out there. We've had a few people ask us um, 
if we'd be able to get our show on some other other hosting sites. So we're working on that, uh, and we will announce as soon as those are available. Uh, you can check us out at StoneHousesCast on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash StoneHousesCast. Uh, thank you to everyone who has been tweeting about us or posting about our show to promote us and sharing us with others. We really, really appreciate you getting the word out. This week, shoutouts go to Gabriel, Jerica, Cato, Scott, Ed, Ella, and Cigna. You, too, can post about us and tag us at StoneHousesCast or using hashtag StoneHousesCast so we can see it and appreciate you and... Be women of the water as well. <laughs> um, this has been Stone Houses, an amateur guide to fiction, fable, and folklore. I am Caitlin Bruder. And I'm Laura Bernadette Meeker. Till next time. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.